Plus minus. Tim Kawakami deserves all the credit. Plus minus. That is a word right there. What'd you say? Plus minus. Marcus Thompson. Marcus always tell the truth. Plus minus. The only thing that I would say to Ethan Strauss is that he's a pretty damn good reporter. Um, he's well respected. I think he got the highest plus minus in the season in NBA history. Welcome to. A new episode of Warriors Plus Minus. Fellas, we have a lot to talk about. A couple of meltdowns since we last got together. One of them by a veteran. We've got apparently some kind of illness from the star player. And we have possibly some people returning. This is a lot. Slater and I talked about this on All 82. And we saved a little bit for the crew. So with me, I got Tim Kawakami, I got Anthony Slater, and I got Ethan Strauss. Before I let Tim and Ethan deliver some of the more steaming takes from Charlotte that, that me and you already, Steve Kerr talks in about maybe an hour from now, an hour from us talking. Our podcast will already be out. I think we'll get a Steph Curry status update on if he might play or not, and then also the centers. But the expectation I have at this moment is the centers are, are probably returning against the Knicks. But I think by the time people listen, they'll know for sure one way or the other. So remember that. I uh, just enjoyed the good cop, bad cop dynamic of the last podcast where Slater was bringing the heat to Draymond. Marcus, a little bit of the cool, the cool critique. It was a great mix is all I'm saying. It was, uh, it was a good podcast. That was all 82, Ethan, not, not, our, not, not Warriors. Plus I know, Let's just but make, there's like crossover. <laughs> you know, it's like, like Marvel. It's in the cinematic yeah. universe yeah. of whatever yeah. it is we do. It's all intermingled. It's all intermingled. But. Where do y'all stand on the dream ride? Where did y'all fall? I understand everybody flipping out. It, it was clear. I mean, I said to myself, I've never seen that, right? I've never seen a team up to somebody in the final seconds, and, and not just somebody, one of the main guys, one of the foundation pieces get not just one technical and everybody's going hey just don't get another technical just don't get another technical and he gets a second technical he's ejected free throws tie the game next shot wins again i've never seen that and i hate to just say that's draymond but this is who he's been throughout his career he's done this stuff in finals games it's what motivates him it's what pushes him over the edge and then sometimes he is over the edge and it's a game that they could have won without that they lost it in many different ways but that clearly was the focal point of of that loss but i don't think it's ever gonna like oh someone draymond's gotta learn from this draymond's gonna, i don't think he's gonna learn from, I, I just think this is who he is and in that moment he thought mark davis was was screwing up and, and the crew was screwing up maybe they did maybe they didn't it certainly was arguable but if grandma thinks he's wronged, whether he's right or not, he's going to do that. Even if it's at the end of the game, even if there's up two and two technical fouls, basically could lose the game. And that's just who he is. I've, I've come to understand that. I think Steve Kerr probably has come to understand that. Warriors probably have come to understand that. It's just I don't quite go with the he's got to learn from this. He's got to be different. He's, that's who he is. He's and, about to be 31 in a month. Yeah, next I know. Month, exactly. Like like how is it going to change now when, when he's, been, he's played in like, what, you know, 900, 1,000 NBA games? It's probably not going to change. This is kind of what life is like where you, you realize you can't change your friends, that you just have to accept them for their flaws and all, or just not have them as friends anymore. That's what life is like. I'm, I'm with you on this. Yeah, ideally, he would learn from this. How often have we seen this? How long have we seen this? This was a particularly bad manifestation. Somebody texted me 
you know, with ties to the team, that this is the type of thing that can turn a season. It can. You know, it's potentially pretty bad. That was not a happy coaching staff. Oh, let me tell you, they're not happy with him right now. It could be really bad, but I don't think that we would expect Draymond to become a completely different person. I think maybe he could conceivably be 5% different, 10% different. Objectively, you can stand back and say this isn't working well. I mean, some of these guys do good ref intimidation or they get on the refs just enough to where they do their bidding to a certain extent. Certain coaches, certain players. Chris Paul seems to have that effect on referees. Rick Carlisle seems to really get into referees and they bend to him to a degree. With Draymond, it goes too far, it seems, and they punish him. And then he gets into this mode of, they're out to get me. Well, that didn't happen by coincidence. That has something to do with how you're handling them. And if you're screaming and cursing at them all game, sometimes they're going to punish you when it's completely unfair. Like when you're yelling at your rookie. Or perhaps giving you a double tech in a situation where almost nobody would. And so it is a situation where I agree with the take that he's probably never going to change but I do wonder if he's stepping back at all and wondering if any of this is worth it and if it's really so good for him to be yelling at these guys. It lands worse when you're a worse player. And he's still a positive impact player. We've had plenty of discussions, I mean, uh, on what he does to organize the offense. Obviously, what he still does defensively, if he's not even, he's not defensive player of the year version before, but he's still probably all NBA first or second team defender. But he's shooting 35% overall, 20% from three. Defenses are sagging off and like kind of leveraging his lack of offense right now against the team. He's missing, you know, in both of these very close losses, he missed absolutely point blank layups. When you bring that Draymond thump, it used to be more excusable when he was also, you know, scoring 12, hitting a few threes, really everywhere, four steals, four blocks on the regular. You might randomly have games like that. Like he's just, I think we all can agree, he's just a worse player now. And when a worse player is doing this stuff, it just becomes less excusable to the people around. Yeah, that's not wrong. That's not, that's not wrong. I mean, I agree. Like Tim said, I mean, the dude's 31. Like, He's not changing. The The uniqueness or the newness of this situation, I do think, is like he's a 31-year-old and he's the oldest dude on the team or him and Steph, right? Like, I don't think he's ever been in a situation where he does something like this and he goes into the locker room and everybody's looking up to him, right? It's not like there's nobody on par with him. There's nobody... Like there's no David West, there's no Sean Livingston, right? There's no OG in there. Like he's the OG. It just felt like judging by what he clearly told the players and how the, these younger players who came up under him, you know, there there might be a part of Draymond is like, all right, I, I have to be a better leader to these guys because, like, I am the veteran on the team. Perhaps that's the area where there might be some uh, Draymond reflection and improvement. Because he's got a whole team of dudes who look at him as this champion leader, like his voice is the voice of God, right? Like, and they're like, yo, that's how you act? <laughs> where, where it's like, all right, there's no more KD, Steph, Clay, and all these other veterans who can kind of compensate for it or be another voice in the locker room or kind of balance that out. Like, yo, it's Draymond. It was Draymond last night. That's who it was. To put that into some other perspective, who was going to pull him back, right? They had Cousins, right, pulled him back. Marquise during, was trying. You know, Marquise, Marquise was Chris trying. Right, he's right. trying. <laughs> but he's not, Marquise Chris is not David West, you know, or is not 
Boogie Cousins for that one season or is not, you know, Andre. Uh, who Who's, you know, maybe Steph could, Steph wasn't there. And Steph hasn't done that in the past. Like, who's going to be the guy who's going to get in front of Draymond when Draymond's going off? They don't have that this season. They, they probably don't have that anymore because who, who's at, a, you know, a more veteran level than, than Draymond right now? But I'll agree with that. I mean, other than saying this is who he is, he's 31 years old, he's a man, this is how he's gotten to where he's gotten. This has also been part of his downfalls uh, throughout the years. He did tone it down with, with Durant, right? That was maybe the biggest Draymond explosion, the most significant Draymond explosion ever for the Warriors franchise, him screaming at Kevin Durant on the sidelines in the middle of a game. And he realized he was wrong. He realized he went over the line. He apologized to Durant. He didn't do it again that we know of. That relationship evolved. So I can say, yeah, what what Marcus is saying, at that final moment when it's just a, he's about to lose the game, don't do that anymore. He can look around and say, okay, read the room, read the situation. I won't do that. He's still going to be fire. He's still going to get texts. He's still going to complain about calls. He's still going to be Draymond. But maybe that last moment, when he gets his first tech, then stop. Uh, maybe, maybe that's the difference we're going to see in Draymond the rest of the season. Maybe. I think they need him maybe. to play better. <laughs> that's it. And, maybe. and I don't know, maybe this, you know, pushes him in that direction. You know, we'll see. I mean, I don't think this is going to suddenly make him hot from three, although he's hit, I think, three threes the last two games, which is, uh, you know, a season high in a two-game stretch. One but, in the fourth quarter of the, yeah, of the game. Yeah, his first fourth quarter three of, of the season. That's the thing. Like, it, And maybe some of his frustration is with himself, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and that's coming out in – these situations. Look at when he got mad at Durant. It was when Durant was yelling at him for not passing him the ball, for turning it over. Like he gets, it's I don't know, want to say it's embarrassed, but it, there's a pride in that. And you, could, I bet you, his pride's hurt when he's not being defended, when he when he refuses to take the shot in Steph's triple team and Draymond's wide open. You know, I, that might be some of the you know what's going on here. I, I think it's definitely playing into it. That's another situation where Steph Curry was not present, and uh, you see what happens. And yes, as much as we, Steph is not there. Yeah, As much as we talk about how Draymond is this uh, right-hand man, great force for Steph, I, I wonder if Steph is Steph is the guy Draymond keeps sane for. <laughs> doesn't fly off the handle when he's around because it's small sample size, I suppose. But That's such a great like, point, though. That is a really good point. It seems like this stuff is just more likely to happen when Steph is not Would around. Would he want to look at Steph's eyes? Yeah, look Steph in the eye. I blew that game. I blew that game, Steph. And when Steph's not on the floor... It might be a little different. Ethan, nice point. Wow. Ah, finally. You know, <laughs> once every 12 podcasts or so. I would say at least eight. At least eight. At least eight. Oh, well, wait till you hear about the Justinian Jessup analysis coming yeah, down. And that's, oh, a that's, that's, oh, that's a negative. Oh, my. I got a take later, too. That. Speaking of Justinian Jessup, Steph Curry, uh, Do we, we still don't know when he's back. From what I'm hearing, it's not that serious. So uh, I, I haven't gotten any any alarm but it was it was very it was alarming the way he left the game i thought it was just strange usually like if you're warming up and you don't feel great right at tip you don't say immediately out for the game right you like he went back in the locker room he's been you know experiencing flu-like symptoms and we'll see and sometimes they come right back out and play sometimes they don't that was with like you see him he looks like he's ready to go and then he's walked off the court and he's done for the night that's what i thought was strange you don't normally see it like that where you see him on the court and then he's done for the game normally it's okay he didn't start like you know draymond wasn't out for the first few minutes of the third quarter we're all like what then he's out you know then he's playing it's normally kind of like 
we will see. We'll, we'll see how this feels. And with Steph, it was like, he is out for the game. That that was the weird part. I think there was a part of them that wanted Steph to rest the game at some point. And this was the opportunity. That, I'm wonder, I wondered if they were like, hold on, do you feel that? Oh, yeah, we were looking <laughs> anyway for a window here to get you there. I was taking a long way up to the almost to the starting of the game. I know. Well, right, and it's in Charlotte yeah. where he doesn't want to sit. I know that. He didn't feel good all through warm-ups there's pictures of him sitting on a basketball like in the middle of his like normal warm-up routine and celebrini and johnny west and steve kerr over there talking to him and he's looking up looks like he's like almost discussing like being dizzy or something like that so this wasn't just it didn't pop up you know 10 seconds before the game he was it seemed like trying to push himself into the game and they event finally decided right before full decision time nope you're like this is just not the night let's go to the back i think they just said let's get michael Mulder some minutes we, we need to see. They should have won the game. Going. They should have won the game. <laughs> they they played well. They did. They're playing pretty well right now. They should have. I think have a five game winning streak. Right? Is it five? No, it'd be a four game winning streak right now. When I hear that, and I understand it, but they could, they should have lost the Miami game. So some of this is just the back and fo- just the back and forth of an NBA season. You win some that it's what happens you when you're mediocre. That. Yeah, exactly. you're, you're right on that line. I agree, but because of what Kelly Oubre has done in February, they're a better team than they were two weeks ago, I think. Like, on a nightly basis, you start the game, and you're like, Oubre's probably going to play well. This is about, without their centers, too. I mean, this is this has been a, an impressive, you know, kind of run of play, whatever the win-loss record's been, without any centers. Uh, and you're playing Juan Toscano-Anderson big minutes, and, you you know, Brad Wanamaker, what did he play, 36 minutes last night? I mean, these are... These are emergency minutes, and they're getting stuff out. And Ubre's been excellent, and Wiggins has been fine. You know, they just they're getting minutes where they gotta get minutes. By the way, the second unit looks like it's in order now. I was like, like last night when the second unit came out there, it was like, well, not last night, whatever night it was. I'm completely blown. It was the blurred. first yeah. unit, basically. Yeah, yeah the, <laughs> you know, the second unit looked like stable, like stabilized, and Wanamaker was out there earning time because he was pretty good. He couldn't make a shot. They've got some things. They're good against bad teams for sure. That second unit can beat bad teams. Yep. Well, they They just defend. Yeah, they They D up. They could get in transition. Pascal can take. You know, he sees PJ Washington. It's like, like, let's go, let's go. Have we seen this before? Like, by the way, like I guess Draymond and Blake Griffin. Like, when have we seen a player just (laughs) singularly dominate one dude he doesn't like? Like. It it's crazy. Amazing. This is two is games amazing. now yeah. of just like I'm gonna destroy this dude, and it's he the, does. It's the it's definitely the poor man's version of that. <laughs> I would say PJ Washington doesn't seem like overly bad defensively either. You know what I mean? It's not like Pascal faces these type of defenders a lot. It's just I guess the mental motivation of of apparently like the draft workout stuff too. I'm actually gonna have. I mean, like, was nobody else drafted over him? Like, was <laughs> I know yeah, like a lot of people with one forty. Guy, right? well, that's the one guy he knew he was better than. That was yeah, <laughs> apparently he would go to the draft workouts, outplay PJ Washington, and then still look at mock drafts and be like, "This guy's way ahead of me. What's going on?" They need to hypnotize him into thinking every opponent is PJ Washington. Right? Just put yeah, absolutely. They need to do that. So the centers are very likely coming back in New York. And this is going to jumble up the rotation that, you know, we're just talking about the second unit. I, I, I That's what I'm writing today. I'm writing kind of just about, like, where does the rotation go from here? I have a longer-term, pretty hot take idea, but I'll give my take a little bit later. Look with at the, the centers. Wow. Look at this radio this, professional right here. With the centers, what do you guys – how do you see that just immediately against the Knicks, against the Pacers in the next week, just changing things up? 
Well, this is the worst day in the world for Jake Clark on Twitter, right? Like, <laughs> y'all know Jake Clark, Mr. Clark INC. Oh man, he's been anti-center every day. He's banging on Wiseman every single day. So he he's gonna have a meltdown, and I'm gonna be here for it. You gotta start Looney, I think, right? Looney starts, no question. And then Wiseman comes want, in. You just Wiseman want Wiseman in. in the second yeah. unit. You just want Wiseman to fail. I know. I know what's going on, Tim. I've got a second unit idea that includes Wiseman. That's part of my. Kerr's keeping the second unit as is. I'm telling you right now, he's keeping the second unit as is until it proves ridiculously awful. He's going to keep that Pascal as a second unit. The other thing is, if you don't have Pascal as a center on that second unit, I don't know where you're going to exactly going to play him. So you go Looney starts. He's going to have to DMP somebody. It's got to be Pascal. It's going to be Juan Toscano Anderson. Yeah, it might be JTA. I mean, they're going to have to find minutes for JTA. But it's going to be Wiseman as the as it's the guy coming in the sixth minute. It's going to be either Mulder or Lee. Yeah, that's yeah. And be. then it's going to be the regular second unit that we see. If the second unit that we're seeing now bogs down, then you could see some different rotations. But I think Kerr likes that second unit. Now, it's taken him a while to get to it, and I think he's going to stick with it for a while. And he likes Pascal in that in that role. How can this team be so mediocre and yet it's so hard to find the guy to cut? It's a very strange paradox. Well, it's t- right it's now. Wednesday, right? For Mulder, the, the contract guarantees Wednesday. That's they need the minutes, they need the shooting, but man, he's bad sometimes. He is just bad when he plays. JTA just feels he feels almost more part of the culture of what's good about this team at this point, where I'm I'm hesitant to call for him being cut. It's he just seems like such a good no, such a good find. You don't need yeah, to yeah. cut him. I mean not cut. Not I mean, yeah, I don't yeah, mean like yeah. cut. I'm not saying like cut. Officially, uh, take out not, not find a spot I'm for DNP. him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm talking about like a DNP cut, like a single game cut. Um, and it is funny. It's really hard to find. It's really hard to find a spot. And you know, as much as I, I might float the idea of bringing over the aforementioned Jessup or whoever, it is hard to find guys' minutes. Weirdly enough, even though this team is lacking so much, they sent three nope. guys on the roster to the G League. Right? I mean, that's yeah. they, they didn't have minutes for them. So they're they're playing with twelve and other teams have, you know, fourteen, fifteen that they can play around with on their active roster. But they're gonna play Toscano Anderson. They're gonna find minutes for him. It it might be cutting down Draymond's minutes, you know. I mean it really I mean if you look at it, that's how you get minutes for a guy like Toscano Anderson. Well, but then him. there's the discussion of like Draymond at the five minutes. Uh yep, it's that been- too mostly his best minutes this season have been at the center. They're going to do that too. There's going to be a squeeze. There's definitely going to be a minute squeeze, no question. I think he's going to vacillate between like whoever he's feeling with Lee or Mulder. One of them will get the DMP, one of them will play. That's kind of what he does now. To me, that's like almost more relevant to the discussion of how the center minutes are dispersed because Lee and Mulder, yes, one of them will get squeezed, but also, you know, is James Wiseman only playing 12 minutes a game? Is Kevon Looney just getting the Zaza Pachulia first five minutes of each half will not return? Is JTA out of the rotation because they don't have enough centers? Is Eric Pascal maybe bumped off of his small ball center spot because they want to try something new? Like to me, centers like that is like how are 48 minutes of centers dispersed between five guys basically yeah Draymond's going to get minutes of the small ball too yeah there's they don't play a lot of big so that's why the minutes get crunched uh and they like to mix and match and you know they're they've done pretty well without centers so now they're going to put a couple centers in there who you know they're certainly not dominant centers Looney and Wiseman so yeah it's it's going to be a feel thing but they got to play Wiseman I'm just uh, like they have to play Wiseman minutes it just has to happen and then you everything else kind of flows from there I think the way Kerr looks at it is he's got to start Looney 
He's got to play Wiseman at least 12 to 15 minutes. He's going to have Pascal start the second unit, and he's going to close with Draymond most games. Everything else kind of has to wedge in there, for, you know, a minute, two minutes, four minutes, six minutes from there. But I think that is just like that's how they laid it out for the rest of the season. If anybody like practically was going to get edged out, it's going to be Wiseman just be, for playing time because they don't think they they don't think they play very well with Wiseman. But they also have to play Wiseman. That's the kind of the push and the pull. So they will jigger to make sure that he gets minutes in you know in, in that first and third quarters and maybe he earns it in the second and fourth quarters he's also their only clear path to like a significant leap in the season is him making a leap which by the way i think his next seven games are very important like does he come back learned a lot you know brain kind of got cleared a little bit from all those pile-up games and he comes back like looking really good or does he come back looking like struggling? I I do think like the first even like four Wiseman games are going to tell us a lot about like where his season might be heading towards. I'm optimistic. I think I think a lot of the reaction is too prisoner of the moment with him. That's that's my take. Uh, I think because Warriors fans are so passionate and they want to win every game, um, it's really a roller coaster. And when you look back and you look at some of these big men. And what they were doing when they were 19, whether it's KG's numbers, whether it's Chris Bosch's numbers, um, I mean, it's not—it's not bad. It's pretty good. You're still talking about a guy. Of course, he's not going to know the nuances of the game. Of course, he's going to make stupid decisions on defense. He's 19. He's still somebody where, per 36 minutes, it's 21, 10, and over two blocks, uh, over 50 from the field. A little bit fluky, but forty percent for behind the arc. I mean, this is this is better than you could have expected, in my opinion. And I'm I'm optimistic about it. I think the thing you have to like about it is you don't hear anything bad as far as coachability, as far as willingness to improve, as far as work ethic is concerned. And if that's in place, I subscribe to the belief that I think the Warriors do, which is he'll become good if he wants it. And it appears he wants it. So we should maybe take a longer term view of him as opposed to the roller coaster of he's bad. He's good. He's bad. He's good. Whoever's taking that approach is probably need to just, you know, they need to do something else because it's, it's ridiculous. We will be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. It leads into a hot take, which might be on the website at, at the point of people listening. Jordan Poole might, might be the best player in the G League right now. <laughs> it's just true. And he, I mean, he had, they believe he's leading the bubble. It ain't might, by the way. It ain't might. <laughs> hey, Jessup, Jessup. Wow, that should have led the show. That should have led the show. Jordan Poole's the best player in the G League. Hey, Jessup might be the best player in the NBL. He's burnt. He just he just played another game where he burned it up and dropped twenty in those short games. <laughs> and this isn't a Jessup conversation. It's more Jessup like versus Ethan. Poole. It's always a Jessup, Jessup question. Jessup versus Poole. Jessup versus Poole. <laughs> I think what Jordan Poole is doing in the G League needs to be noticed. He's leading the, the league in points. He had 37 the other day. And the passing, because they're giving him a lot of ball handling responsibility, point guard responsibility. It's the point guard, yep. If you've watched some of his passing highlights, it's like 
you know, drive into the lane, lefty curl around like absolute pinpoints to three point shooters. I understand it's the G League. He's just doing stuff that looks very NBA point guard, you know, playmaker level stuff. And I know the coaching staff is noticing it. And I know that last season he had a he he became better in the last month after they traded D'Angelo Russell and Jacob Evans and, and they put gave him a point guard point guard yep. duties. I know that he wasn't that great early this season when they kind of made him off guard again, playing next to Brad Wanamaker. I mean, I'm looking right now and I understand that Steve Kerr wants a defensive identity. The second unit does have a defensive identity, but I'm just looking at three man lineup combos right now. And like the top minutes, one that, that screams second unit is the Wanamaker, Damian Lee, Eric Pascal. They played 280 minutes together. They have an excellent 106.5 defensive rating, but they have a 103.8 offensive rating. They're minus 19. They don't score. They do defend well. They don't score. I think, particularly because Wanamaker is clearly a stopgap. He's not under contract next season. I know coaching staffs like him, but Jordan Poole is under contract next season. I think Wiseman's future is crucial to the team. I think it wouldn't be that bad of an idea maybe after the all-star break after the g league bubble is done to have a second unit that consists of jordan Poole instead of wanamaker and james wiseman as your center i know for a fact i have heard james wiseman really likes playing with jordan Poole in the pick and roll drag screens in transition they really pair well together you're not going to defend as good and you're going to score better there's going to be nights where you get killed there's going to be nights where you score well but i like it as a second unit you know what i didn't know is uh what's Jordan Poole's true shooting percentage this season, not not with the G League, but with the uh, the big boys. Well, he did go like five of like seven from three the night before he left. You guys remember? I think it was against Detroit. Small sample size, but it's a it's a tick under sixty percent. I'm not used to Jordan Poole having that kind of success in any kind of sample size at the NBA level. And to what Anthony's saying, the reason I float Jessup every now and again beyond trolling you guys is. They need offense. And if Jordan Poole can provide some playmaking, that is badly needed. And obviously, you always worry about how much defense you're giving up to get the offense, but they're they're 20th in the league offensively. They need shooting. They need passing. They need it not to be Steph's responsibility to generate points every night wholly and completely. And if there is a chance of Poole giving it to them, I think that is something very much worth uh, being under consideration. Well, I like this be- because of the, the Poole-Wiseman combination because I, I mean, you watch them bef- before games, they're like together. Like Poole He likes Wiseman, playing with them. Yeah, yeah they, there's some chemistry. There's some personal chemistry there. I just would notice that Poole like, seems to have great chemistry with everybody, which is interesting to me because he seems kind of quiet sometimes, but maybe not in a locker room. And, and if he's talented in an NBA game, we haven't really seen that. I like ah, the combination ah, with him and Wiseman. Ah, I, I don't mind ah, that. So we've seen it. We've seen yeah, it. Well, we've seen it like at, at, for a couple minutes at a time. I'm just happy y'all on the Jordan Poole bandwagon <laughs> with me. I've been on this thing since last year. Well, <laughs> I, I don't terrible. like it. Just plop him in there with Pascal, you know, in a second unit, same thing. I, but if you say with Wiseman and let's see those two guys work off each other and let's have this like a – projecting second unit where you're looking at guys who are going to step into the next like, yeah, throw Jessup in there what the hell but uh smiley I, I, yeah I, smiley. <laughs> I, I don't mind now by the way you're pulling Pascal out then right I mean that's yeah, that's going to be you know tough on the coaching staff a little bit whoever they cut this podcast gets way better if suddenly we've got Jessup Smiley Geach and Poole 
in the Warriors rotation, you know, almost regardless of who they cut, just because it gives us fodder to discuss uh, pod after pod. We but. still talk about him every pod, so it's, it's it, it still works. But no, I, this is not bad, Slater. This is not this is not terrible. Three reasons I've kind of mentioned. Brad Wanamaker just hasn't had a good season. If Brad Wanamaker was, yeah, if he was having a good season, this probably wouldn't be a discussion. He's just not. I know he his last game was probably his best game. But overall, you you would be replacing like Brad Wanamaker would probably be getting DMPs in this scenario I'm laying out because Poole needs to be the point guard, not the off guard. I think it's proven he's not an off guard, and I think it matters because, like you said, maybe the, they do lose a, a a couple games or two. And I know the fan base doesn't want to hear that, but they need to figure out what Wiseman can do in Curry minutes. But also, wouldn't don't you want to see him maybe explore himself a little bit too? They, they need to kind of see what Wiseman can be in the league. And sometimes separating him from Steph and Draymond might give you, you know, a clearer read of what he can be. You know, can he, for the next three seasons, be, you know, your second unit, like offensive hub in, in, in situations? And you want to know what you have in pool because you already have him under contract next season. Maybe that's a criticizable decision, but you can find out if it's a criticizable decision by giving him an extended run of where I think his position is in the league, which is backup point guard. I would do wonder... Because Steve Kerr's offense is often a topic of discussion online on this podcast. I do wonder if it's set up a little better for Steph. And uh, we'd have to go into it and really look at it. But can they run a simpler version of what they do and be more intentional about it when Steph is not in the game? And because is that the reason, beyond the talent difference, why Poole looks like a superstar at the lower level? And not as much, even if the aforementioned. He's definitely not running what they run when he's here. He's definitely (laughs) not running what they run when he's here. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. that's that's, well, you know, that second unit runs a little differently. Yeah, I was good. He could in the second unit. We're talking about Steph off the floor. It gets pretty ISO heavy in that second unit. But it's ISO heavy after four or five movements, and it's only ISO heavy for what what one or two players, and then it's in the shot clock ISO, but. It's all these actions to get Pascal the ball or to get Wiggins the ball. Uh, like sometimes in that second unit, uh, uh, I mean, Ubre thrives because he's a really good kind of like garbage man. Like he'll go get an offensive rebound. He'll he'll just find stuff. Like he'll mine for it like Bitcoin. Uh, they don't <laughs> run. They're not doing like a uh, yo. Let's just go at this dude and. We're gonna do it at twenty seconds. They did it in yeah, Charlotte. Did. <laughs> <laughs> did. That was Which, a and it worked though, second. right? Yeah, and yeah, it worked. Yeah. I would like to see Wiseman to start the second and fourth quarter, just because what what Slater's pointing out is that you want to see him maybe detach from Steph and, and Draymond just to see what he can do. And he's not so worried about, wait a minute, I got to get out of the corner because Steph's coming here. But wait, wait Steph, like just let him play with a group of players. I don't think they want to do it because I don't think they want to lose Pascal like that. Cause it, I think they want to build this defensive identity and that would just be a worse defensive second. Yeah, game. no question. But I would like to see, I would like to see it. And if you, if you say it with pool, then that makes even more sense. I don't think they're going to do it, but I think yeah, 10 more games up. of Wanamaker shooting Shooting 22%, yeah, 22% from three is just not sustainable. I was told, too, just weeks ago that they don't really have guys who look for Wiseman uh, on the team. That's an issue other than Poole, and maybe that's also a practice thing because we only see so much of them and we've only seen so much of them in the games, but they don't know how to throw lobs for whatever reason or just run that pick and roll with a big. 
This is the worst post-passing <laughs> team I've ever seen in my life. It's yeah. unbelievable how they can't make a post-pass. Well, it's cause, it was because of years of not having post-players. Like, they just never had to do it. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you, but they, they've been running the same play forever. They've been running the same play, and it's the guard or the wing or the three, whether it was Kevin Durant. They've posted Klay Thompson on the guard, like... It's not just throwing. It's not like oh, you got a post guy. You got to figure out these fifty-eight ways to get him the ball. It's the basic. My man is right on the on the block. Get him the ball so you can run the actions. And they have the hardest time just making that simple pass. It's also, and this is a weird one because Steph is one of the greatest offensive players of all time. But I don't think it's fun to be a center playing with Steph in this particular style. And it's the style they should use. I'm not criticizing Steph. I'm not even criticizing the style, but I talked about it with Bogut on the podcast. I talked to Looney yesterday and talked about it with him a little bit. It is not the kind of style where you're going to get yours. And it's not even this, you're going to get a secondary amount of points because you're running a pick and roll all the time like it's James Harden. It's Steph is doing the off-ball thing. You're always focused on the exterior and the perimeter and funneling the ball back out so you can get that three-pointer off of those screens. So I think just the ability to play a different style of that second unit where you're more a part of the action could be good for his development. Which does explain why they seem to play so well without a center, right? I mean, like Draymond and Steph are their true selves when there's no center on the floor because they don't. this is not built for a center and they haven't had a center. I mean, the other point is they haven't had a center who scores. Now they do, or you know, we can imagine they have a center who's going to score and that's a little different, and and that's why he was pulled out of the starting lineup. So yeah, I I, I like the idea of trying to maximize Wiseman's minutes away from Steph. There aren't that many of them available, and that second that second unit is it. I like that idea. I don't think they're going to do it for a while, at least you know for, through this month. I think it's when Jordan Poole gets back from the bubble, and they need to make a decision on him because like he's gotten into a rhythm, a playmaking rhythm, and I think they need to kind of discover what they have. And I don't think Brad Wanamaker has done enough to like you know c- cement his rotation spot i mean why can't they all i'm something? saying is carl landry was amazing with steph on the court posting up in 2013 don't give me this no center business <laughs> no i'm just playing. <laughs> he was playing he was playing power forward at the time by the way but it's a... <laughs> nah not that second unit he was killing he, but he was a power forward because they still mark jackson always played centers so if we were saying 10 minutes a game, five to start the second and fourth quarters each, of just basically Jordan Poole, James Wiseman, pick and roll stuff up top, what is the ideal three-man lineup around those two? Would you just go all wings, shooters? I mean, like Bazemore, Damian Lee, and Wiggins? And like That true. sounds good. That sounds great. That's what they're kind of folded into already, you know, around Pascal. I think that's what they would do. Because they don't, I mean, they don't, they're not going to put JTA in there. That would be a way to get him minutes, but I, I don't know that that's going to... Yeah, yeah. You want shooting around that yes, pick-and-roll exactly. combo we're saying, and you want defense, too, and that's where I think you do need to have like the Bazemore because he's the energy. Wiggins is obviously a, a good defense. Beyond the energy, Bazemore's had a really good season, I think. I mean, just I didn't expect him to be a sniper in the way that he's been. Maybe should have gotten even more time, but none of these none of these guys are proven offensive plus players, so there's a lot of juggling throughout the season. But yeah, I don't think we've 
talked beyond a certain person on the podcast wrote an article about one Kent Bazemore. Uh, we we might have uh, not discussed this season enough. It's been I do good. think that Kerr like definitely feels hot and cold with Bazemore. Like he's either got Man, it, and it's or he doesn't. Yeah, yeah. Like he, he either rides him, or he's not going to play him very much, and he yanks him right out of there. All we know is they blow out Cleveland. They beat Miami. He basically won the game. He's playing over like a bunch of minutes both those games. The next two games he barely plays or he's back down to his regular minutes and they lose. Like it was very clear his presence on the court was not there. Like you could just there's a certain energy level, especially at points in the game where they needed it. You you can feel when Bazemore is not in the game. Not just because there had been a like a crazy foul committed in it <laughs> over <laughs> time span. That, too, that happens too. Like yeah, but there's like play, there's just stuff happening. Like there's a there's a volatility and like when Bazemore's on the court, you can feel it and you could tell and he, he didn't play that much. You don't, I don't even, he I shoots even have when to open. Know. I don't know why Steve is just like man, he loves him, and then the next day he's like, yeah, I'm I'm off him. That's definitely his yo-yo guy, and there's no question about it. Like there's just he's a feel coach sometimes with this, and sometimes he he feels it with Bazemore, and sometimes he well, and Bazemore didn't play the first two games of the season, like stunned us all. Like he's one of their big signings, two-way wing. He's going to be the great backup. Has played with Steph before, and doesn't play the first two games. It just I, I just think Curve feels around with him much. You know, the, the, there's much more question mark on that rotation sheet that he and Mike Brown have for Bazemore than anyone. Everyone else is kind of plotted in there. Bazemore, maybe to some extent, Damian Lee. Like, they're the ones he just kind of, let's see if he's what he's got for the first few minutes. Let's see if he makes a shot. If he doesn't, he's out, and he may not be coming back in for a while. And even though we all see that, even with the crazy stuff, like, when they have a big steal and a dunk on the other side, it's Bazemore, like, 60% of the time. He's just, like, getting in the lanes, running the break, finding a guy. It's sometimes random and sometimes chaotic, but I do think his stuff happens when he's out there. Sometimes coaches like when stuff happens. Sometimes coaches don't like when stuff happens. I think I think Bazemore kind of straddles that line for the Warriors. So, Ethan, you gonna bring up the Bazemore? You got nothing on Bay? What do you like, mean? What do you mean? I, th- I, I brought you, it up. I thought you were gonna have a. I was waiting. I mean, you brought it up and then dropped it. Like I figured you had some kind of hot take on Bazemore, like he should be starting or something. This is like the second unit or the Warriors rotation where we've got four and we try to uh, we try to fit in wherever we can. I don't have anything brilliant to say on it other than I feel like the reputation of Bazemore is almost a little bit contra the production where he's twitchy energy guy brings energy you're not relying on him to hit shots but he actually a shoots it when he's open which is a nice thing that not everybody on the team does and you're seeing that more as a style in the nba of just trying to get that three-pointer i feel like we're moving away from trade a a good shot for a great shot to just take the good shot, man. I mean, that's what's happening with the Jazz. I know that uh, Tom Habershaw wrote about it, that they're just, hey, if you're open at all from behind the arc, just sling it. You know, that might be the way the Warriors have to go because I do think I do think that the, the main issue is mediocre offensive talent. But maybe there are things they can do on the margins to improve it. And I see Bazemore as a guy where gets it, it's going up when he's open, not everybody's like that. Maybe people need to follow his lead and be a little bit more like Bazemore and be aggressive. Did like you that. hear the the uh, player shouting at him when he was open in the corner the last game because <laughs> the audio picked it up? And, like, Shoot that bleep! Like they clearly, clearly want him to take the shot, <laughs> and then and maybe uh, that's uh, that's good with them. It, there is a 
a confidence in knowing the guy's going to put up an open shot. And, and, and as you mentioned, like Draymond doesn't do that. There's others that don't put the shot up. Wanamaker turns down shots. Ubre doesn't turn down shots. But <laughs> and by the way, we, some credit to Uber. You know what they do that's hella irritating? No, Uber has been amazing. You know what's hella irritating that they do? They rush every shot. It doesn't matter how <laughs> much time they have. They rush every. I mean, I'm talking about dudes who shoot 20%. <laughs> like, you see, you see, if you watch games around the league, you'll see a player get an open shot. You take your time, you set your feet, and you get a good shot up. Like, Wanamaker, Wiggins, like, they all, as soon as they catch it, it's gone. Bazemore. Even if they have more time, it's like, I mean, baseball, I got it, right? Like, you shoot 45%, keep going. But, Brad, how about you slow down a little bit, <laughs> right? Like, how about you take your time, set your feet, you know, do what Steph He's does, in a funk. Man. He's in he an misses, He funk. misses those shots, too, though, Marcus. Layups. He misses layups. I mean, I got it, but what's more likely? I mean, if, if yeah, if, if you can't set your feet and improve your chances to hit a three, you probably shouldn't be playing. Like everybody else in the league, you give them an open three with time, they're probably going to make it. But that's not really the case. The Warriors are a team that they hit more contested shots probably than anything. But it's just like, yo, they never take their time and shoot the shot, which I imagine is driving uh, uh, Mike Brown crazy over there or Aaron Miles or whoever works with the shooters. They just need more shooting. I mean, they, we've said that from the beginning. We said that going into the season. We're saying it now, however it works. They need more shooting. They've kind of gotten away with it. Tim, you see what Jordan Poole's shooting from three in the G League? <laughs> they need Jordan Poole, of course. How did we not know this? Hey, Jordan no, we Poole knew it. dominated the offseason. The coaches told us that. He was dominating the offseason. You know who their best shooting center is? Do, do we know that? That would be the rookie. That would be yeah, the rookie. I was going to say, if you talk about outside That's what I mean. I mean, we're, we're talking about trying to juice up this shooting. They have the reasons for doing things. I I talked a bit with uh, with Kerr about it and uh, what the mandate is on on Wiseman, but personally, I'd I'd like it to be a little more open as far as don't even don't even wait for the great shot. Just develop just develop this. I, I would like to see Wiseman throw it up a bit more. It just seems like that's where the league is headed. And he, frankly, just what Anthony is saying is a better option than these other guys. <laughs> One of the big attributes I liked about him and as a rookie, throw him in there, and he's taking shots. He's not, like, scared to put the ball up. And we've seen that, again, so many times with young players coming into this, afraid to put the shot up. And he wasn't – Jordan Poole, not afraid to put the shot up. Like, you know, he was clanking all over the place, but at least he had the guts to put the shot up. And – you know, nineteen-year-old center, seven foot one, whatever he is, jacking up threes. There's something and looking pretty good doing it. They there's ran a pin down for him against the Wolves, and he <laughs> and he cashed it in pretty yep. easy. I mean, there's something to be said for that. Like, like this is going to be somebody who's going to make these shots a lot in his NBA career if he can do it at nineteen. So yes, I mean, but part of this is like, I think our overall made this frustrates fans. Is what we're saying is this season they're not winning a championship. They don't need to squeeze out now. They want to win games, and they don't want to blow them like they've done the last two. But they also are not sacrificing what could be to try to squeeze out you know, a last-second win in Charlotte by playing a veteran over a young player this season. And if you just have that general view, James Wiseman's got to play. Like, he's got to play, and he will play. Now, it's going to be a matter of you know dimensions. Is he going to play a lot? Is he going to play a little? Is he going to play medium? I don't know. But... I think that's where some of the tension is, where some of these decisions, some of them, are 
okay, how are we going to be long-term? Steph's not going to play 38 minutes. He's going to play 35 because he, we want him good next season. Uh, you know, we're going to try to get, you know, whatever. There are all these different decisions. Because he's making. made of paper mache. Yeah. Apparently. <laughs> well, that's a whole other, that's a whole other debate. Not relevant to right now. He didn't play all last game. He should be playing. I'm just going to be on the record that I don't know that that is the best approach to developing youngsters. And considering the track record of developing youngsters, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not going <laughs> to. I think you develop by trying to win games. That's how you develop. They pull Wiseman out of starting lineup. I mean, there have been decisions. Yeah, yeah like that. absolutely. Uh, but I do think that the overview that we've got, maybe not you, Marcus. Now is that the decisions you make are based on trying to win a championship, and that's not happening this season. I think we're kind of also like, you know, adding to the point I'm trying to make about this Wiseman second unit option because, I mean, look, this is the entire balance of the season is trying to develop through still winning, right? Part of the reason they had to take him out of the starting lineup is because either him or Ubre, mostly him, was kind of seemed to be, you know, careening their most important parts of the game, which are Steph Curry's minutes. You need to win Steph Curry's minutes. They were not winning Steph Curry's minutes. That's almost more of an appeal of putting him in that second unit with a pool, like I said, because I think that's the best way to maximize him, because you're not then, you're using your developmental minutes for your worst minutes. The second unit lately has been their worst minutes, so you, you're you not tanking Steph Curry's court time anymore as much. Also, I think that might just be better too. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't know that it's not better. James Wiseman will be better in that type of environment, a second unit lifestyle, more than yeah, when he's having to be Andrew Bogut out there, basically. You, you give know, he him has those twenty games of hey, your this is your time, no matter what, don't care what happens. You give them 20, 20 games like that. I don't know that it won't be better than what they currently have in the second unit, which has grown into a decent second unit. Yeah, and by the way, if he plays really well, then he earns other minutes. You know, right? I mean, the, you you find him a two or three minute stint with Steph and Draymond. Maybe he even closes a half or two. That's how I pictured this season going and then it stopped and it got rushed and then it stopped and now he got hurt but that's how it should go with a 19 year old number two overall pick just like let's just get him confidence get him on his feet get him playing with people he's comfortable with and then you expand as his you know as he shows it to you and god we're completely sold now on the slater new second unit this is uh, this is because i'm about to write about it <laughs> this is an accomplished podcast at least we got that done i love your louis anderson from coming to america approach to it it's like yo next up you'll be on the fries a year or two <laughs> you'll be flipping burgers that's incredible a good idea is a good idea um unless it goes really badly and then we will mock you mercilessly if pool can't hit a shot when it does happen then they learn by the offseason that they that he's not a part of the future. You got to move on. Yep, absolutely. And he's under contract. That's the other, I mean, he is under contract. They absolutely have a need. I mean, the need has been there since Sean Playmaker retired. Playmaker right? Curry's yeah. off the floor. Playmaker yes, it's just it's so obvious. You just need somebody who can make stuff happen with the ball in their hands when Steph's off the floor. Like they just don't they don't they don't have that. They thought Brad Watermaker was going to be that. He wasn't it. I would urge people to watch some of these Jordan Poole passing highlights from the G League and scoring highlights. I mean, he had 37, too. I mean, he's shooting the three well. 
how much time on their hands do these people have? <laughs> I'm, well, I'm going to take put a few in the article. <laughs> I'm just going to take it from you, Slater, on this one. I'm going to take it from you. <laughs> Says the guy who watches NBL preseason games. Yeah, but that's me. I'm not <laughs> telling like, a guy with job, like right, I'm not yeah. telling a guy with like six kids no, and two Slater jobs said, to do it. Pass up the Warriors game and watch these Jordan Bulls. <laughs> There's a six-minute window in the second and fourth quarters. Where you I'll give you a watch. choice. I'll compile Brad Wanamaker four-minute highlights this year. Or <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Whoa, you, got, you got six minutes whoa. in the second and fourth quarter. If you need Brad Wanamaker was a plus in the last two games, and he's just getting torched hey, on this. By the way, game. he defended LaMelo Ball very he well. Did. I don't know if he we did. want to talk yeah. about LaMelo Ball. but he. You know what? That's the funny thing. They lose the game. Everybody is just got their dander up, livid at Draymond, so disappointed. But really, before that game started, everybody was bracing for the reputational hit of LaMelo dancing on him and everybody saying that they screwed up the draft. See, so. Draymond was ahead of the curve, see? <laughs> <laughs> Draymond was ahead of the curve. He took one for the team. That wasn't doesn't happen if uh, just it's the nature of what happened, that LaMelo just didn't play well. And I think Wanamaker's part of that. I think the Warriors... Defense, the underrated Warriors defense is part of that, but that's what everybody was anticipating going into that game, that it would be perhaps a humiliation for the Warriors that they passed on this guy. Not that one game changes anything, but that... That game changes everything. Was. Everything. Friday has uh, is you the rematch in San Francisco. Wiseman should play. Steph uh, presumably should play, and and I assume Ball's going to have a better game. I've watched plenty of Hornets. He that was as bad as I've seen him. So he's usually much better. Well, I thought watching Lamelo is that he's just going to have some of those games because his shot is not going to be reliable. It's going to be Terry Rozier yeah. was amazing. That right? too, like, but also, but also like he's. He can be kind of like disappear, like you, you like he's just because he's not going to shoot. Try to get a shot. They got other guys who have the ball. Gordon Hayward has the ball. Like he's he's just going to be like all of a sudden he's going to make five great plays. It's not going to be every time down Lamelo Ball is in control. It just doesn't feel like that. And he's nineteen too, but like so there's going to be quiet games with him. He's just not one of those guys like you watch like everything he's doing is incredible. That's not him. He's going to rebound or two. He's going to lead a break. He's going to maybe make a shot or two, but it's not like I just didn't feel like this is a guy that you have to watch every single second. And he's 19, but I also thought he did some interesting things too. I mean, he's he's still incredibly talented. It's just not a guy that I think, like Anthony Edwards, every single good thing he does is magnified by 100 just because of this, how explosive he is. <laughs> and, and every and, Nate, Nate Duncan yeah. criticism is, <laughs> yeah, exactly. is magnified by a million, apparently. What is going on with Twitter? I mean, that's... Uh... <laughs> I just think that LaMelo Ball is a, just a complete player. Sometimes, I guess my general thing is he's a complete player in a way that Iguodala is. Maybe not the defense, we'll see. But it's like it's contextual with LaMelo Ball, maybe. Yeah, despite the flashy passes, you always see the flashy passes. But it's not necessarily, oh, my God, every time down they had to do something. Like with Steph, like every time down you have to watch Steph every single time. And that does not seem to be the case with LaMelo Ball. And definitely wasn't that night <laughs> for sure against the Warriors. I think LaMelo is a rhythm player, and that extends to the shot, where if he hits that rhythm, then he's going to get on a run. And he, he really— He looked like does. he was about to, and then Brad Wanamaker like, intervened. He's not a natural score. He's just not a natural score, and that, you know, that's okay. And, and with his vision and his size, that's okay. You can you can help the team in a lot of different ways. So next week, if Kelly Oubre continues this pace, we got to make a commitment to give him his fair share and talk about Kelly Oubre. Oubre show. Oubre show. Oubre show next week. 
Right. We'll see. We'll see what happens. But I'll, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. What we'll if he goes over sixteen from three? But uh, then it'll yeah. really be Ubre show. <laughs> he deserves <laughs> praise for the way he's played. After I mean, especially after coming back from that ridiculous start, uh, for just sticking through it. The team stuck with him. Uh, they believed in the numbers, and the defense was mostly there, so they kept playing them. For a guy who bashed Uber as much as anybody, I'll give him full credit for the way he's played last. Nah, don't try games. to tuck it in at the end of this one. You're gonna need a full, a full <laughs> fine, episode fine, next fine. week. This was the this was the Jordan Poole show. This was the Jordan Poole. <laughs> yes, show. this is the Jordan Poole. I'm a little bit job well done. Maybe trade him now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, well, that's you, what I'm saying. We need to get into that. <laughs> we need to get yeah, would you that. trade him for Lonzo Ball still? Yes, I, I would do that. Lonzo's having a really good month, too. They both are. Right after the trade rumors, actually, they both took off. All right, that's our show. Uh, until next time, we will see you. Thank <laughs> you.